It is good to be with you this morning as we continue our Advent series, The Gift of Jesus. Many of you uh, remember your favorite Christmas present that you ever received. I can remember uh, two of mine from when I was a kid. One was a mountain bike. I remember when I got my first mountain bike. And um, bikes are, by the way, always an interesting present during Christmas time because it's cold when you start riding it. But I remember just really being excited about that. And the second one was the largest, physically largest Christmas present I ever got. It was a Fisher-Price three-in-one tournament table. And uh, it had, some of you guys remember this, right, from like the 90s. It had pool, and then you could put a top on it, and it was ping pong, and then you could flip it, and it was uh, hockey. Ryan knows what I'm talking about. I see him shaking his head. So I remember that was like my favorite gifts that I can remember. And then like when you're a teenager, it's boring. You just get clothes and stuff. But uh, when you're a kid, I remember getting all those cool things. But every year, I remember we would ask my dad, what do you want for Christmas, dad? And he had, he had a couple hobbies, I mean, hiking and shooting and uh, woodworking and things like that. But every year it was the same thing and it became almost like a family joke. Dad, what do you want for Christmas? Peace and quiet. Man, some of you know what I'm talking about. Well, women, you know what I'm talking about as well, right? It, uh, he wanted peace and quiet. Like, like many of you, he worked uh, in a busy environment that was loud, you know, long hours. He was a mechanic. Sometimes his work was underappreciated. Meanwhile, at home, me and my sister could be loud and cause mischief. And so it was no surprise uh, that he wanted peace and quiet. Now, as I approach 40 and live in a modest house with four children and two dogs, I understand the desire for peace and quiet. I would like that myself. And some of you can relate to that. Just this desire for peace when the world around us is just loud and, and, and crazy, right? And work is stressful and even home can be stressful. Like we long for just this ability to sit down and everything to be okay. Just for there to be just a pause. Like sometimes you feel like, man, the ride is getting too busy. I'd like to get off the ride. Okay. I would like just to sit down and take a breath and feel that everything's okay for once. What do, that's what we mean by peace, right? The sense of tranquility when everything is going well, right? When there's harmony in relationships, when there's no, nothing to worry about, no fear that something bad is going to happen, when there's a sense of just like safety and overall well-being. The problem is that we really, I think we all desire that, right? We desire peace as, you know, but... It seems like it's just never there, for long anyway, right? It's, it's something that we, we experience in pockets. We have moments of peace. We go for a hike and we see a beautiful sunset and we <sighs> feel a moment of peace, right? But it seems like it doesn't last very long. Something always seems to be going wrong. We believe, as, as, we're, as we're talking in our Advent series, that we have many gifts that come through our Lord Jesus Christ. We talked last week about God has given us the gift of love, and here today we'll talk about how in Jesus we can have a peace which the scriptures tell us transcends all understanding. And so today we're going to talk about four ways in which we have the peace uh, that comes through Christ. We have one, peace with God. We have two, we have peace in the midst of all of our trials and our anxieties. Three, we have peace with fellow believers. And fourthly, we have peace and hope for the world to come. The angels announced this uh, in Luke chapter 2 uh, when, they, when they came down. That should be on the screen here, our, our, our verse. It says, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those 
with whom he is pleased. The angels announce that to the shepherds, and we believe we have that peace in Christ. So let's dive right in and talk about this. First of all, we have to start with the fact that in Christ we have the most important foundation for a life of peace because it cures the biggest problem we have is that in Christ we can have peace with God. If we're going to have any peace in this world, any sense that everything's going to be okay, it has to start here. And if we bypass this, if we don't have peace with God, I'm here to say, we will not have peace in any other area of life. I think we all have a nagging sense, and I say we, not just in this room, but like humanity, in every time and place and region and tribe and tongue and nation in the world, we all have a sense that things are not as they should be. We, we, we all believe that. Nobody enters in the world and is like, wow, there is no need for improvement. Everything is just perfect, right? It doesn't matter what faith somebody believes or if they have no faith at all. If they believe that God doesn't exist at all, right? Everybody believes, man, just things are not the way they should be. And that's very interesting because if God doesn't exist, then there really is no way things ought to be, right? There's just the way things are. So even just this nagging sense of unease should kind of point to us like, yeah, something isn't right. Things should be differently in my life, in my heart, in my family, in the world. Scriptures tell us that our instincts are right on this, that things are not as they should be, and we don't feel that peace that we feel like we ought to have. Because the Bible teaches us that we are made in God's image, that we are designed to be in relationship with Him, to do the good works that God has set out for us. But in this grand story of Scripture, it says the biggest problem is that humanity as a whole has rebelled against God and his plans for us. And so with that, we, we, we have this natural like longing to be with our Heavenly Father, that place of safety, because that's where we existed, that's where we were created to exist, and yet we have rebelled against our Father, rebelled against our God, don't acknowledge his ways. And so we're like rebellious sons and daughters that have run away from home who are living out and doing, doing whatever we want, and we, but we feel like we should have sh- sought shelter in our Father's safe and loving home. And so nothing's as it should be for us. There is this natural unease that's there that we sometimes just can't pinpoint. No wonder we don't feel peace. But the Scripture goes even further. Right? It says that you know, because we're, we, are, we are estranged from our God, It goes even further than that. The Bible actually tells us that we are in a place of hostility against God, which certainly shouldn't be the way it is. God made us to love us, as we talked about last week, to be in relationship with us. But this estrangement isn't just a, okay, you do you, God, I'll do me. It's no, we're in this state of hostility which brings wrath. And the scriptures have this, this terrifying idea that God's wrath hangs over us. I, I want to read to us from John three sixteen through 18 and then verse 36. In this first verse, uh, we've heard, let's, let's read some more of it though. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Amen? Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. 
Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Man, there's some amazing, great promises we're going to touch on in just a second. But there's also that, that, that warning on the back end that should really cause us some trepidation. He says, if you have the Son of God, you have life, you have forgiveness. But if you don't, says the wrath of God remains on you. Which means the natural state that we're in, the one reason why we feel unease is because in our hostility to God, God's wrath is remaining on us, resting on us. And it's only removed when we have Christ. Wrath is God's righteous anger over evil. We, we feel that too. Some of you watch the news and you see what's happening in Israel or you hear about a school shooting or you hear about some great evil that happens and you get angry, as you should. Right? That, 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 that's what wrath is, right? It is a just anger over evil. So this is not a... a God's not wrong here. When God expresses wrath, it's a just anger against evil. Our problem is that it's our evil. Some of you are experiencing the feeling of this wrath hanging over you in human terms, right? Some of you, you've had that, me, that email or that, that, that call for a meeting with your supervisor, your employer, and you know that this meeting's not going to go well, that you're going to get reprimanded, or even maybe your job might be in jeopardy because you something you've done wrong. Some of you, you you've, 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 your spouse has caught you in a lie, and you know you're going to have to have this conversation with him or her, and you're just like... Oh, you're dreading it, that, that, that sense that something is hanging over your head. Or, you know, for, most of us probably remember those words when you were a kid, when you did something wrong, you, you broke a piece of furniture, you drew on the walls or something, and, and you hear those words, just wait till your father gets home. You're like, oh no. It's that sense that, that, that your conscience convicts you that you've done something wrong and you deserve punishment, but there's no escape. And no wonder... We've experienced that and you have no peace. You can't sleep, you can't rest, you can't think about other things because you've got this thing weighing on you. And I just want to say, some of you may be there right now. Like you have everything in the world. You have, you know, a good family, you've got a good job, you've got health, you've got friends. I mean, everything on the outside world is going well and you're like, why don't I feel peace? Maybe it's your conscious convicting you that there's something not right. And it's that feeling that, that, that the wrath of God is, is, is on top of you. But as I read earlier, I don't want to stay there, but that, that is a warning the Scripture gives us, but it's wrapped up in a promise that, hey, it, it, this is the way things maybe are, but they don't have to be that way. As I read earlier, the good news, the gospel, is that the God who waits to pour out wrath on sin is the very same God who said it doesn't have to be this way. He is the one who has initiated the opportunity for peace. God is the one, not us, God is the one who planned to send His Son, who was innocent, to become human, just like me and you. And though He never sinned, He was given in the hands of wicked men, and He died an unjust death so that you and I could be justified in God's sight. The Bible says that the wrath of God that is stored up against our sins, God, instead of pouring it out on us, poured it out on His Son. That's what the cross is all about. And this satisfies God's justice. And so for those who hear this good news and trust in Jesus and say, God, I trust in Jesus to be my substitute. I trust in Him to be the one that saves me, to remove your anger, your wrath. God does. 
And you'll be forgiven forever. Your record expunged. Your conscience cleared. Justice served. And I love this verse. And it's right there. Romans 5.1. One of the most wonderful verses in scripture. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And you need to understand, this is not like the peace that we sometimes have. Well, it's like, okay, well... We're just going to agree to disagree. It's not a temporary ceasefire. It's not a humanitarian pause of hostilities. It is a homecoming after a long absence. It's, hey, you ran away from home. You dishonored our family, but the door is open. Come home. Your father is waiting with open arms. It's discovery of something precious that you always needed and sensed was missing, but you didn't know. Peace means more than God is just not angry with you anymore. It's that He is delighted in you. That he, all of His great... Now He's going to not pour out wrath. He wants to pour out all His greatest blessings and promises on you because He's glad to have you as His son or daughter. But we'll never have this lasting peace in life in any other area until we have peace of God. And our conscience will convict us and we'll have this nagging sense, man, something is not right. And it's not. Until we have Christ, we will never have that peace because we were made to have peace with God and we can't have it otherwise. And in the classic allegory by John Bunyan, uh, The Pilgrim's Progress, he, he pictures it as a man who's carrying a sack with heavy weight in it his whole life. And he's just hunched over carrying this heavy weight. And then when he comes to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith, the weight just comes off his back. And he feels like that burden is gone forever, weighing him down his whole life. It suddenly falls away. Here today, I want you to know that Jesus came so that you can have peace. No matter what's going on in the world, you can have peace with God. And that's where it all starts. So if you have never trusted in Christ, I earnestly implore you, trust in him and feel the peace that comes only through Jesus. But know that it doesn't end there, that the work we have in Christ goes much farther. Number two, we, have, we can have peace in the midst of trials and various anxieties that we face. See, the peace of, that you can have with God is yours in Christ, but this does not mean that you're going to necessarily have a carefree life. I certainly don't. You, many of you Christians here, you, have, you can say the same as well. In fact, some of you can say, man, since I came to Christ, I've actually had harder circumstances. There are things that have been even greater trials that i faced than before my conversion. And maybe your circumstances have not gotten better. But I bet I could talk to you one-to-one and say, but my consolations and my hope have increased. As, as I mentioned earlier, the angels announced to the shepherds the night of Christ's birth, this promise of peace, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Guys, this is not an empty promise. Jesus reiterates to his disciples on the night of his very betrayal, John 14, 27 on the screen there. Jesus says to his disciples, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Listen, not as the world gives to you do I give to you. So let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. I have this wonderful quote from a... Matthew Henry, Matthew Henry, a Puritan author, and it's, it's a little longer, but uh, I think it's well written if you'd let me read it to you. He says, when Christ was about to leave the world, he made his will. His soul he committed to the Father. His body he bequeathed to Joseph, 
to be decently interred. His clothes fell to the soldiers. His mother he left to the care of John. But what should he leave to his poor apostles, his poor disciples, that had left all they had for him? Silver and gold he had none. He left them that which is infinitely better, his peace. I leave you, but I leave my peace with you. I not only give you a title to it, but put you in possession of it. He did not part in anger, but in love, for this was his farewell. Peace I leave with you, as a dying father leaves portions to his children. And this is a worthy portion. Christian, when when Christ left, and as he's sitting in heaven, as he's on the throne, as he's praying for you and interceding as high priest, as he's ruling over his world, know that he has left you with the greatest gift that he could. Maybe not riches, maybe not health, maybe not long life, not maybe all the earthly things we love, but he's given you a far greater treasure, his peace. And Christian, I want you to understand that you have possession of this, this, this peace that Christ has promised. It is yours by right as heirs of the kingdom. It's yours on the solemn oath of the king of heaven and earth, the Lord Jesus Christ. He has given it to you by his Holy Spirit who dwells within you, who will never leave you. He has given you precious promises in his word to strengthen you through trials. He will never leave you or forsake you. He will guard you from every plot of the enemy and every trap he lays. He has all power in heaven and on earth and his sovereign hand guides your every step. No one can remove you from his love. No temptation can seize you. The devil cannot take you. The law cannot condemn you. Hell has no place for you. The darkness of this world will never overtake you. The grave will not hold you. In Christ you are forgiven forever. A precious son, a beloved child, holy in his sight. So Christian, you have been given this peace of Christ which allows you to rejoice in all circumstances. Because the end of all suffering that you face, even the suffering that you're facing right now, will end in glory. Every tear will be wiped away. Every trial you can trust your hand of your Savior throughout who gives you secret mercies. And every hardship you can say, you know what, this too will result in making me more and more like Jesus. And will result in me trusting him more and more. And sometimes you're like, I can't see that. All I see is the suffering and the frustration and the sleepless nights and all that's going on. Just trust that there's peace that God gives throughout. And that he is using this to sanctify you even more. I say this recognizing that even though we have, as our possession, we have this peace as a right, we don't always feel it, do we? We know that God loves us. We don't always experience the feeling of love. We know that we have hope in Christ, but we don't always feel hopeful. One of, my, one of the most precious scriptures we have is Philippians 4, 5 through 7. It says this, The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, this peace of Christ transcends all understanding. And many of you can testify to this, right? Some of you have been in terrible circumstances. 
that you know, yet you feel strangely, you're like, I don't know why, this is awful, this is terrible, and yet I feel strangely at peace. I feel that everything is going to be okay. It's not okay now, but it's going to be okay. And you feel that because Christ is Lord and He is with you, there's a sense of calmness to your anxious thoughts. That He can change your weeping into singing. That He can give light within you when there's darkness all around you. There's times that you're, you're just sitting there wondering, God, what are you doing? God, what's going on? Why would you let this into my life? And it's at that moment that the Holy Spirit says, do you remember this scripture? And He just brings just the right scripture to mind. Some of you know that? Like, where'd that come from? He's like... I have you, and it's going to be okay. He leads you beside still waters. He rejoices over you with singing. He quiets you with his love, as Zephaniah says. He restores your soul because he's your good shepherd. The gift to, to Christ, the gift of Christ to all his saints with whom he is well pleased is this unbreakable peace within. And if, if just know, first of all, that it belongs to you. It's yours by right. And we can experience this, but I also recognize there are times we don't. And if so, the scripture says, pursue it. Ask God for this peace which transcends understanding. And he may not calm the storms around you, but he'll allow you to walk on them in faith. But he goes further still. And he grants us peace with one another. We can have number three, peace, especially with fellow believers. The holidays, as we know, can be tough for families. Some of you have great relationships with your family, right? And you, you look forward to gathering around the table, but others have strained relationships, and they can be a tough time. It is this time of year when we're supposed to gather with extended family for gifts, for meals, or for, for presents. But if there is division, all right, it only highlights this divide because we know it's not supposed to be that way. But what makes a family you know, united is the fact that we're united by blood or marriage, these strong ties. Like it's, it's something more than just friendship or, or, or kinship, right? It's that we're by blood and marriage, we're united. And these are strong ties. And sometimes even these are not strong enough to, to keep us in unity and peace. Christians are not only united by common cause, though, or, or even shared beliefs. We certainly are united by those things. But Christians are a people gathered who oftentimes really have nothing else in common. Like we're sitting, some of you, next to people who you like, you know what, we don't have anything in common. We don't read the same books. We don't like the same things. We don't have the same cultural background. You know, the, we don't, it's like we don't enjoy some of the same things, but we have, the only, actually, actually the only thing we have in common is that we're Christians. Like some of you are sitting around people like that and, and you wouldn't hang out together normally. You wouldn't. And that's actually part of the glory of the gospel. Right, that God is forming a family from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And you can even look at the, the 12 apostles, like these 12 guys that had a lot that wasn't in common. You had a tax collector, you had fishermen, you had a zealot who was like a, a revolutionary. You, know, you had all these different people who like probably wouldn't have got along, wouldn't have hung out in the same social circles. And yet God said, no, you're going to be mine. And I'm going to unite you, and you're going to change the world. So Christians, we are... Are people gathered from, from different things, you know, from ethnicities, languages, age, wealth, status, culture, but we're united by Christ. And Christians, we are family brought together by the blood of Christ. 
We are one body with Christ. If Him is the head, we belong to one Father. We submit to one Lord and Father being filled by the same Holy Spirit. And our names are written in the same book, in the blood of the Lamb. Colossians 3.15 says this, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. And this is significant because Christians often come from vastly different backgrounds. The New Testament makes a big deal that, you know, especially of those who are of Jewish or Gentile backgrounds can become family. But our former allegiances become secondary when we're in Christ. In fact, we're a new creation, a new man, a new nation. It's all new, the Bible tells us. Because the cross is the most powerful force in the world for bringing genuine peace between people, and nothing else will suffice. Only the cross of Christ. Now, that said, you know, so Christians, we have ground for unity to, to sit at one another's table. And I, I actually think that, like, as, as we get older, many of us can say, man, my church, I'm closer to my brothers and sisters in Christ than I am my own family who are maybe outside the faith, as you grow more and more. But this peace that we can have with fellow believers, right, is significant because, you know, Christians still do disagree, you may have noticed, We still have things that we fight about or argue about or even divide about. And agreement and close fellowship, sadly, sometimes is not always possible the sight of heaven. But man, Christians, we ought to pursue peace with one another. So peace within the church, within the the fellowship of of believers in Christ is something we should have. The ground of that is that the, the dividing wall of hostility between us has been broken down. We're united in Christ. We are brothers and sisters, like it or not, we are. But it's something we should aim for as well. It pleases God. 2 Corinthians 13, 11 says this, Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration. Comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. There's something of a warning there that maybe God will pull back a little bit, and we won't experience that peace if we don't make peace with one another. As a father, I, I, I can't stand it when my kids argue. And you, you know this as well, many of you, like, man, I, I can't stand it when one of my kids gets angry and insults another one. Drives me up a wall, because I love them both. Right? I, love, I love all of my kids. And so it, it is frustrating, it is, it is angering, because I want peace in my household. And I, and I tell my kids, like, hey, you're going to have friends, and you're going to have all different kinds of relationships growing up, but you're going to be family for the rest of your life, right? And so please love one another, or I will spank you. I don't always say that last part, <laughs> you know. Love one another or else. But it angers me, Right? It hurts my heart when, my, when, my, when there's not peace in my house. And I think it, God is not pleased or glorified when his children bicker. In the world, even in your human families, you may experience estrangement, but it should not be in the household of God, of all places on earth. So we don't have the choice, right, to, to, just, to just, you know, let hostility continue because we're going to spend eternity together, so we should make things right now. So Christian, I just want to encourage you, if you've sinned against a brother or sister in Christ, go reconcile. Live at peace. Christ is the grounds. If he has forgiven you of sin against the Father and himself, he can certainly unite you and, 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 and uh, unite you against the sins we've committed against one another. The blood of Christ is powerful even to forgive that sin that you have in your mind, right? The blood of Christ died for them as much as for you, so be at peace.
Finally, God gives us peace in Christ, knowing the future is glorious and good. We have peace in hope, fourthly, for the world to come. So this, there's this big word uh, in theology called eschatology. It's a nice word that means the study of last things. It's the study of the future, the close of history. It's this idea like, what is human history all leading towards? What's it, what's it all about? What's, what's the end game? And is it good or bad? The fact of the matter is that things as they're going on on earth right now are not going to continue as they are forever. But there is a climax to this story. Christians believe that in the present age, that, that this present age will come to an end, will come to a close when the Lord Jesus Christ comes back in glory. And that's what we're talking about during Advent, right? We celebrate the, the fact that God sent His Son once and that He came as a baby, He came as a human, He, he lived life on earth in humility and, and often obscurity, and then He died on a cross. But we believe that Jesus is coming back in glory to bring an end to history, an end to this current age. Uh, that's, and that's our eschatology. There's a whole lot more to it, but that is our belief in the last things. That is what all of history is going towards. But I want to suggest to you that it is not only Christians who have an eschatology, who have a belief of the last things. In fact, not even just religious people. Everyone, I think, has an eschatology. For those who do not believe that Christ is coming to judge, we still have a sense, as I said in the very beginning, that things are not right. Our conscience convicts us, right, that humanity as a whole has done something wrong. And so we, if we don't believe Jesus is coming back to judge, we believe that some other outside force is going to judge the world and that will deserve it. You're like, what are, you, what are you talking about, Matt? I think it's one reason why so many are concerned about climate change or overpopulation or that a comet is going to hit the earth or global pandemics or, or futurists saying that we need to get in spaceships and... Go to other planets because Earth's not going to survive. Do you ever wonder why we see so many movies about zombie apocalypses? Right? Or, or alien invasion? Or rogue artificial intelligence? Well, that one maybe actually might happen. But, um... I mean, is that just Hollywood entertainment? Is that, like, what? I actually think that there's something inside of us, in the human heart, that says we, we deserve judgment. And whether it's nature fighting back against us for us not treating the world well, or it's an invasion, or it's something else. Our imagination goes wild. It's one of those things like if you don't believe, we believe something is coming down, that the other shoe is coming down. And, that, and humanity deserves it. I think that's built into our DNA. It's interesting when real, the reality of God can be suppressed, but it comes out in other forms, right? But guys, Christians do believe that Christ is coming again to save and to judge. And there's a lot to say about this. I just want to read briefly from our church doctrinal statement. We believe this. That God the Son will come again to bring the end of this world and eternal judgment. God the Son, Jesus Christ, will come again to the earth in bodily form at an unknown time, bringing to completion God's plan of redemption, secured at His first coming. At the second coming, He will bring final judgment on all the people, living and dead, and angelic beings, and transform all things into a new heaven and a new earth. The unrepentant will face eternal punishment and the regenerate will be raised to eternal life with a glorified body. Now there's a whole lot to say there and I wish I actually would have had a slide for that for you. There's a whole lot to say in this topic of what's going to happen at the end. 
Many areas for discussion and debate, but for our purposes as we begin to close this morning, I just want to remind you that all that we're told in Scripture about the return of Christ should bring hope and joy and, yes, peace to believers. Sometimes Christians get caught up arguing about details and timelines and identifying symbols and specific scriptures and, and texts and what do they mean and, and how does this apply currently or, or history. Or, and those can be worthwhile and important discussions, no doubt about it. Eschatology matters because it affects how you're going to live. But I just want to, whatever you position you might take on certain issues, this is the thing I want to focus on. Remember that the revelation of Jesus' return really has two primary applications. It serves as a warning for those who don't trust in Jesus to repent. And it serves as a comfort to believers to give them strength to press on in faith. See, Christian, the second advent of Christ is not supposed to fill you with terror or trepidation or anger, but rather with peace and joy. The point of it it is this. If you want to summarize, it's this. And they lived happily ever after. If if you need a a Christian eschatology, that's probably how we 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 could sum it up. The happy ending is already written. The good guy wins. The good guy being Jesus Christ. He is going to come. He's going to slay the dragon, rescue his bride, and save the day. Does that sound familiar? Because all the best stories end like that. And ours will as well. No matter how bad it gets down here, Christ is Lord, and he is coming with trumpet sound, and angels innumerable, and all the saints of history with him. And if I can pull out another illustration, as Samwise Gamgee says in the very last volume of The Lord of the Rings, all the sad things will come untrue. And so, Christian, we can take peace knowing that Christ is coming to make all things new. He will make you dwell in peace and safety. Especially where where you feel that you are not at peace or have safety. He will make you lack no good thing. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up now as I read to you from Revelation 21, verses 1 through 5. And I want you to feel that this is a text at the very end of Scripture, the second to last chapter. And I want you to hear the hope and the promise here. Because no matter what is going on, no matter you're like, man, things are really bad, the hope that we have, what leads us to peace is saying, no matter how bad it gets, it's going to be okay. And those aren't empty words, because sometimes, let's be honest, we kind of like, when somebody with us, our child, our friend, our spouse, somebody's hurting, and we don't know what to say, we just say the words, it's going to be okay. But we don't know that for sure. Let's be honest, we, do, we don't know. We're like, I, I hope it is, but maybe this won't get better. Maybe this, this diagnosis is going to end badly. Maybe the financial circumstances won't go well. Maybe this won't, maybe this won't end the way we'd like it to, or that we're praying. But scripture says, you know what, maybe in the short term it's not going to end like you'd want it to, but in the long term, it certainly will. Everything is going to be okay. Hear this from Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adored for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself 
will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Will you pray with me? Oh, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord, we love you. We thank you that you and you alone provide the peace that our hearts long for, that we were made for, that your body was broken, that your blood was spilled so that you could make peace between God and man, that you can make one people out of a desperate people at war amongst themselves in the world. Lord, that you can bring peace to our hearts when all the world is going to hell around us. Lord, that you could give us hope. Oh, Lord, we long for that new heaven and new earth. We long for that day when you come with the clouds and your saints and your angels. And every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord, we long for the day when you banish Satan and death and hell away forever. And you wipe the many tears that we have felt. You wipe away our sorrows and fill us with joy inexpressible and full of glory. You and you alone can bring that. So, Lord, we thank you that you came in the flesh once, and we long for you to come again. And so we, we say, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus.